Let's pray. Loving God, you sent your apostle to preach the gospel to women gathered by a river in a secluded place of prayer. There, a businesswoman named Lydia was led by the Spirit to hear your word as truth. You opened her heart in love, and she opened her home for the spreading of the gospel. By the power of your Holy Spirit, fling wide the doors of our hearts this day as we hear your word of life, that we too may open our lives to serve your world in love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our first reading this morning is Psalm 67. It is for the music leader with stringed instruments. Let God grant us grace and bless us. Let God make his face shine on us so that your way becomes known on earth, so that your salvation becomes known among all the nations. Let the people thank you, God. Let all people thank you. Let the people celebrate and shout with joy because you judge the nations fairly and guide all nations on earth. Let the people thank you, God. Let all the people thank you. The, the earth has yielded its harvest. God bless us. Our God blesses us. Let God continue to bless us. Let the far ends of the earth honor God. Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of John. Jesus answered, Whoever loves me will keep my word. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. The word that you hear isn't mine. It is the word of the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I am with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give to you not as the world gives. Don't be troubled or afraid. You have heard me tell you, I am going and returning to you. If you loved me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than me. I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you will believe. I, wouldn't say, I won't say much more to you, because this world's ruler is coming. He has nothing on me. Rather, he comes so that the world will know that I love the Father and do just as the Father has commanded me. Get up. We're leaving this place. Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, 
Look for the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right side. Think about the things above and not things on earth. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things, but now set aside these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Therefore, as God's choice holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. Since Jesus walked this earth, those who have tried to follow him have asked the question, what does a Christian life look like? Or what should it look like? How should Jesus' teachings impact how I live each and every day? Through different periods of time, people have answered that question differently. Early in the book of Acts, the people responded by kind of pooling everything they had and living together and making sure everyone's needs were met. When the monastic orders started, people said, well, really, to live a Christian life, we have to seclude ourselves from the world. We need to focus on our prayers and our relationship with God and our service. People in different generations have tried to answer this question. And I feel like we're in a period in our history and in the church's history where we're re-engaging what this actually looks like. What does it mean to be a Christian? And we're getting some very different answers. In America, we're in this point where there's a push to merge faith and public life. Faith and politics. 
There are churches out there that have started in the last several years that are advocating for a church-run government to force people to live under a Christian law. I don't see that here. And that hasn't gone well in the past when we've tried that. Others are arguing that to live a Christian life is to adopt a certain set of principles to live by, a kind of a rule of law for our lives that will allow us to have the most good. That's not what this is saying either. You see, the problem when we try to answer that question and how humans have historically answered that question is the way we answer it tends to be through legalism. We try to craft this list of ruler laws to live by that will somehow check a bunch of boxes that will say that, look, I have lived a Christian life. I've gotten the right answers. In pastor circles... I see a lot of what seems like teaching that's, that kind of whittles life down to a multiple-choice theology exam that God grades when we die. And you've got to have a passing grade, and we're not sure what the passing grade is. Is it like just a D? Does that work? Do you got to get a B minus? What do you have to do to pass that test? So there's a lot of concern about having the right theology. That's what's important, and that's how you live a Christian life. In my last call, the five area churches in the small town I was in would get together occasionally. It was a Presbyterian church, a Catholic church, a Baptist church, a Methodist church, and a Pentecostal church. It was quite a crowd. We didn't agree on much of anything. However... The charismatic pastor was a great guy in one of our meetings said, he tells people, if you think you're going to die and you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, well, you did it. You got all the answers. You got all the right theology. Congratulations. You're deluding yourselves. None of us get it all right. All of that is different forms of legalism. It's trying to craft what is in the Old Testament and apply it to our modern lives as followers of Jesus so that we can say we checked the boxes and we did it right. But by doing that, we completely miss the point. Completely miss it. And we turn Jesus, God incarnate, and his message into a rule book. This passage in Colossians, which is a passage, passage near and dear to my heart, in my second year of Greek, my big paper I wrote was on the first four verses of this passage. And while I thought of trying to find that and read it for you to see how long people could stay awake, I did not do that. But what Paul is doing here, Paul is a big proponent of this idea that you were this one person, and through following Christ, you become a new person. You have this old self, and then you have a new self. 
We don't totally shed the old self. It's always with us. But we are to be ever moving towards the new self. So Paul illustrates these things that are signs of the old self versus the new self. How do we really know if we are moving towards our new self, this new creation in Christ? What can we look for? So we're given lists. Paul loved lists. If you haven't noticed, he loved a list of things. The old self is defined by the things of the world. Things that cause us to be disobedient towards God. And he throws a few out. The list is not exhaustive. So if you don't find it on this list, don't say, all right, I can keep doing that. That's not what he's doing here. He has some examples. Sexual immorality and moral corruption. That's a big one. Lust and evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Those are signs of the old self. Those are selfish things. Moral corruption, sexual immorality, evil desire and greed are all rooted in selfishness. In fact, if you really look at the New Testament, the underlying principle of our old self is selfishness, self-centeredness, putting our own needs above other people's needs. We're supposed to set aside things like anger and rage and malice and slander, obscene language and lies. One of the most disturbing things I've seen as a pastor I think shift in the last several years is the expansion of this idea that, you know, if we get the end that we need, how we do it doesn't really matter. If we get to the end, you can lie a little. You can slander people who are on the other side. You got to fight dirty to get what you need in the end. That idea has worked its way into churches, too. The ends justify the means. But Paul is very clear that there's no place for those things in our new self. There is no justifiable lie. There is no justifiable anger or rage. There is no holy rage in the Christian faith. There is no holy rage in the Christian faith. They don't go together. Those are the things that tie us to the world. The world does not like to let go of us. The world wants us right where we are, neck deep in all of this. What does the Christian life look like? It is a life that is conformed to the image of the one who created us. It is a life that pulls us out of the world, sheds the things of the world, and unifies us in Christ as one people. There are no differentiations between us 
nationally or racially, economically. We are to be one people. One people that is marked by compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, tolerance, forgiveness, and above all else, love. When someone looks at us from the world as a follower of Jesus, they should see those things as though they're a billboard in neon flashing out to the world. It should be so blatantly clear that those are the things that drive us that it should stand out in all things. I don't think we stand out that much to the world. I don't think we're the beacon of light we should be Because far too many of us get sucked back into the old ways where we blend, where we become like the world. Friends, what it means to follow Jesus is a daily exercise in faith, a daily exercise in laying down the old self and putting on the new self, laying down our anger and our unforgiveness and our hatred and putting on forgiveness and love and compassion and humility. It's a practice that has to happen every day. There's no finish line. There's no passing score we're trying to achieve. It's a discipline for our lives and how to live. And it has to be central to who we are all the time. So that when you are out in the world, people see something different in you. When people share things that are slanderous or lies, how you respond shows where you are. When people do things that require forgiveness, How you respond shows where your heart lies. And living by the principle of love above all else, because it is through love that this unity in Christ is achieved. It is through love that this unity in Christ is achieved. Love has to be first and foremost in our hearts. And Jesus' command in John to love one another, his command to the people to love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself doesn't leave room for anything else. To follow Jesus is to love through humility, through patience, to show compassion and forgiveness. And it is through this, it is through taking on this new life that we have been given that we are to work to usher in God's kingdom here and now. By putting on our new selves, we can transform this world. But it comes through relationships. It comes through kindness. 
It comes through applying this list, not imposing it on others. And when we do that, Christ is irresistible. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 